Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about Facebook continuing to ruin VR, the future of Xbox's cloud, and a quick update on the abandoned fiasco. But first, let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077. Six months after being removed from the PlayStation Store, it was relisted last week has officially left playstation jail for those that don't remember a little after what was it a month that cyberpunk 2077 released there were obviously a bunch of complaints from playstation 4 users mostly even though the issues were across all systems sony decided to take this unprecedented move of just straight up removing the game from the PlayStation Store. And a lot of that was due to the way, not just the fact that the game was shipped absolutely broken, but also the fact, but also because of how CD Projekt Red handled the way that returns were done for this game. They sort of did it in a way of, hey, if you're not happy with this game, just contact Sony and ask them for a refund. But that's not Sony's refund policy. Once you start a digital title, if I'm not mistaken, you're not allowed to return it. So they put Sony or PlayStation into this really weird place where they forced fans to, or they encouraged fans to sort of transfer blame from CD Projekt Red over to PlayStation for not refunding the money for a product that just honestly did not work. Now, what's interesting about this is that the store listing carries this warning. Important notice, users continue to experience performance issues with this game. Purchase for use on PS4 systems is not recommended. For the best Cyberpunk experience on PlayStation Play, on PS4 Pro, and PS5 systems. It's sort of weird to me because if this game has to carry that warning, doesn't that mean that it's not ready to come back to the PlayStation store on top of that? Was there really no way for Sony to continue to suspend PlayStation Four sales? Like there has to be some way they can code the store to detect whether you have a PlayStation four pro or PlayStation five system and allowed you to buy it through those stores, but not allow you to buy it if you're trying to purchase it through a PlayStation 4. I'm sure there probably was a way to do something like that. It's just weird to me that this was finally reinstated, once again, six months after this game released, and it's still carrying a warning. Six months. (laughs) So... Mind you, we had spoken about, or I had brought up on this show plenty of times that this game should have been delayed a few months. They still would have made the fiscal year if it would have came out before March 31st, but that would be a delay of three months. We're talking six months after. This is still one of the biggest developers in Europe without uh, I think it's over a thousand employees and six months later the game is still broken on one of the biggest platforms because remember outside of PC PlayStation 4 has the biggest installed base but it also has the most broken version of the game and it's pretty amazing to see that after all of this time they still haven't been able to stabilize the game even though adam kaziski claims that they are satisfied with the state of the game right now which doesn't really make much sense because once again if the game is being reinstated but yet sony is still telling people hey we don't actually recommend that you buy this game if you have a playstation 4 even though they put it back up on the store then that clearly means that the game is still not ready to go out on uh, on retail. Now, what's the funniest part of this story is that it was put back on a PlayStation Network store, but it's $50. So <laughs> the, the thing that makes that $50 even more ridiculous is remembering that no retailers are allowed to sell PlayStation Network code. So the only way to get a PlayStation Network game 
is through Sony, Sony's direct through Sony directly through the store. So you're gonna pay $50 no matter what. On Amazon, I actually looked at the price history and Amazon, the last time the game was 50 bucks was in April. Obviously we are now in June. It's just sort of dropped ever since. And there's kind of been these flash sales. I think during Amazon Prime weekend, which was like last week, the game was 20 bucks. And I think even at Best Buy is 20 bucks that were even giving away a free steel book and once that 20 buck price went down at one retailer all other retailers started matching so it was 20 bucks pretty much everywhere i think right now you can get the game for like 32 bucks or even if you go on amazon you can find used copies for like 16 17 dollars around there i have absolutely no idea i i really wish i could watch a chart to to, to show me if someone has actually bought this game for $50 on the PlayStation Store, I would really be interested in being able to see that statistic. And it was funny because as I was researching this, I found out that Amazon hasn't actually carried the game since February. That means, And what I mean by that is that Amazon internally, their sales team has not purchased this game to sell since February. For those that don't know, Amazon relies a lot on third-party sellers to supply them with product. And one of the reasons why they do this is because one of the worst scenarios for Amazon, one of the worst scenarios for their customers to encounter is going to their website and seeing something sold out. It's one of the reasons why it's so rare to go to Amazon's website and see something actually get sold out is because not only is Amazon buying in as a supplier, but if their sales team mis miscalculate for some reason and they do not bring in enough uh, product to cover them for the next time, for the time that their next order arrives, you have third-party sellers there to sort of fill in the gap between those two orders. But as I said, Amazon themselves have not bought in this game since February. And it's pretty obvious is because this game is just not profitable for them. Any time a retailer is dropping this game to 20 bucks, such as what we saw from Best Buy, it's not just to clear their inventory, but it's also in sort of a nudge to get a little bit of market share. So gets you through the door to get cyberpunk in 20 bucks and maybe you'll go out and buy something else but obviously best buy is losing money by selling that game in 1999 but they have to get through that inventory in one way or another i i'm, I'm still blown away by the fact that a game that we once spoke about as a potential game of the year contender is pretty much 20 bucks everywhere just a few months after release looks like most retailers are struggling just to get it away from their stores and and mind you if you can get this game for 20 bucks it's it's a good deal i think it's a good game for 20 dollars. it's a good game for 60 bucks hell no not even if you squashed every single bug in the system you had a, a 3090 video card you're you have a seven thousand dollar pc I still don't think this game is worth $50, $60. It's still a disaster from so many angles. But I, I just, I, 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 just I, I find myself struggling to not continue to talk about this game. It's still, it's like the Hindenburg. It's just such a, an amazingly large disaster within our industry that i think it's almost like we need to continue <laughs> we need to continue talking about this because we can't forget what happened we can't forget what cd project red did the effort that they made to try to sweep this piece of junk under the rug in order to try to get as many people to buy before we all collectively understood just how flawed and broken the game was and i brought this up in the past I, I still feel like the only way this game is going to sort of reach the status of what we consider no man's sky which is a good example of a game that 
was awful at launch and took them three years to find good footing. But that would, that was also the fact that every single update of theirs was free. So hopefully that's CD Projekt Red is thinking in those terms of kind of a three-year completely free plan. I can't imagine them... Well, excuse me, I can't imagine myself ever paying for anything in, in terms of downloadable content for this game. You can't sell something broken and then try to sell me some extra pieces and I have to pay more for them. But I think that's really why I keep talking about this game on the show. I think no one should forget this disaster. We, we, we really have to learn from this history so we don't allow it to be repeated again. Story number two, I guess we can call this a second story is dealing with Facebook. So Facebook was in the news last week over running tests for its new in-headset ad, or excuse me, its new in-headset ad testing program. Blaston, one of the first games to join the test, promptly pulled it from the program after fans revolted. One of the big reasons for the revolt was that Blaston cost $9.99. So obviously this is a, I guess what's considered for the length of the game, a full-priced VR game. But this is clearly the, probably the least surprising thing that I think I've ever covered on this show, which was Facebook adding ads to their VR headset. For those that don't know, Facebook, I think over 97% of their revenue comes from running ads. That's obviously their model. That's their bread and butter. So anything and everything that they create, they're going to try their best to run as many ads as they possibly can on top of trying to harvest as much data as they can from you in order to help companies target ads specifically for you in order to increase the conversion rate and convince more and more people successfully to buy the product that's being advertised to them. Now, Facebook obviously has a history of ruining things, putting money well before a user's experience. We can obviously see that with something like Instagram. <clears throat> Instagram, without a doubt, when I look at every social media, I don't, I think it's the social media that has been ruined the most over the course of its years in terms of looking at a social media platform. And you can sort of see that chart where it's rising in users and rising in features. And this is so cool. And then Facebook buys it and it felt like Two years after that, they started getting really aggressive with ads. They started getting really aggressive with copying the success of other platforms, not really doing their own thing. And it's become very clear what Instagram is being turned into. I personally don't really use Instagram anymore. I just feel like it's just not really a fun platform to use anymore. I feel like most users use it as an excuse to be very self-absorbed. It's just not really, I, 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 I don't really find it interesting. It's like a, Instagram to me is like a visual Facebook. You know, Facebook, I don't use Facebook because it's an extremely boring platform. People go on there just to share some stupid quiz that tells them what color M&M they are or some stupid stuff, or they're sharing some stupid, you know, whatever I ate at this restaurant and Instagram has just kind of become a visual form of that. It's sort of become an extension of, Hey everyone, look at how important my life is. Please like this photo of this slice of pizza that I just got. And that's really why I don't, I stopped using Instagram. I just feel like it turns everyone that uses into not every single person, but for the most part, it's like just a very self-absorbed platform i don't really learn anything from it i don't really get anything positive out of it and the last time i visited instagram i, I noticed that it really feels like it's turning into an e-commerce store it's almost trying to become a virtual clothing store more than more than anything it really feels like they're going the e-commerce route rather than it just being a social media platform and like I said, Facebook just has this history of ruining everything that they purchased. And we sort of saw this happening the moment that they went out and they bought this company 
when they bought Oculus, I think we all collectively, and by we all, I mean sort of the world, the people that have understood just how dangerous Facebook has become as a company and have really stopped using Facebook as a platform. We really saw what the future was for Oculus. It was really going to become a data harvesting engine. And they begun, they began showing their hand, I think it was like a year or a year and a half ago, where they started requiring Oculus Quest users to have a Facebook account just to use the headset. And I think December 31st, 2021, if I'm not mistaken, is the cutoff date. So starting next year, you will be required to have a Facebook, an active Facebook account in order to use Oculus. And there have been stories out there where if your Facebook account was banned, then you lose the access to all the Oculus Quest games you have. It's just a really, just a really, really bad model all around. What's fascinating though is that Oculus is selling, is still selling really well because of the price. Obviously Facebook takes a loss on every device that they make, or excuse me, every device that they sell. And anytime a company takes a large loss on putting out a device, we've gotten to the point where you should be really, really skeptical <laughs> when a company takes a large loss. We're not talking about just 50 bucks. It feels like, it looks like they're taking a really big loss every time they sell a headset. It's almost like when Amazon starts selling Echoes and Ring devices for like 20 bucks or something like that and taking such a large loss it's really suspicious of them when they do that and then you find out about amazon's sidewalk program and then you realize like oh so that that was the plan all along the plan was to sell it for cheap and then put this secret network in place that we're not really telling people about and it looks like that's what facebook is doing with their VR headset. Now, one major issue with this is that most VR sales are made by core gamers who are not used to advertising in games. And as I was writing up this story, I realized that our industry, in spite of being the largest, has overall done a pretty good job at avoiding advertising. Gamers are used to paying for a complete experience. We understand that the mobile games model is very different i think that a lot of gamers understand that it's it's like what's been it's it's the statement has been said over and over again which is that if you aren't paying for a product you yourself are the product when you use a platform like twitter facebook something like TikTok, you understand that you're interacting with a product that you're paying zero dollars for the same thing goes with YouTube, which means that you yourself become the product and the product that you are, are these companies are using all these various algorithms in order to create a profile for you in order to become more successful at targeting ads for you and bring up the percentage. So if you first starting, if you first started using the internet or various platforms and social media, maybe the conversion rate of you seeing an ad versus actually purchasing something through an ad might be 1%. The goal of these companies, since you're not paying anything for these services, is to sell as many ads as they, as they possibly can. And companies will pay more for a comp for running ads on social media platforms such as Facebook that can prove a higher conversion rate, meaning that for every ad that we show, 10% of those people actually go out and buy something. If you're able to prove that to a company, you can sell a lot more ads than a platform like Twitter, for example. And our industry is very different because unlike free-to-play models such as uh, mobile games, we're not used to having ads running in games. R gamers are used to, once again, paying for a complete experience. Every time 2K, for example, has tried to implement unskippable ads in NBA 2K, fans quickly revolted because you pay $59.99, $49.99 for a game, you're not going to put up with unskippable ads. And obviously something like NBA 2K can get away with uh, running Gatorade ads in the background while you're actually playing your game because it, it sort of serves as, as a little bit of an immersive experience 
because that's something that gamers and sports fans are used to seeing on TV. But if you try to force a unskippable loading screen and during that loading screen, I forgot what it was. I think um, if I remember correctly, EA tried to get away with the same thing with UFC where you were forced to see a 10 second trailer for an upcoming film. I can't remember what film it was. Uh, once again, I understand that if a service is free, advertising is expected as that's how the service makes money. Um, but when you pay $9.99 for something like Blast On, you're not used to seeing something like that. And I'm sure I speak for a lot of <clears throat> people out there when I, I'm the type of person that has existed before the internet and, and, and has uh, continued to exist after the internet has been created. And when it came to, to growing up, advertising was really, it felt really controlled in terms of television, seeing commercials and billboards and ads on the subway, for example. But now we've sort of gotten to this point in our timeline in human history where if you really stop and start counting during your days how many ads you see even during a normal trip to let's say Manhattan or walking around the city it's pretty crazy <laughs> like we've gotten to the point where advertising is literally everywhere and it's gotten to the point where every single company that's being created now there's always have to be a section for advertisers it's it's it almost feels like like companies don't want to create services where hey here's an item you give me the money and we go on with our merry way so uh it's it's I, as i was writing this i was reminded of i think it was last week i went to my local walgreens pharmacy and i noticed that they replaced their fridge doors with these full screen LED panels that depicted a fridge. So instead of it being see-through where I can just quickly see, you know, hey, I want a vanilla Coke. Let me see if they have vanilla Coke or uh, I really want a Gatorade. And obviously the way we're all used to fridges is once again, they are see-through doors. We can clearly see what's in there. We don't have to open the fridges. Oh, you know what? They don't have the Coke that I want. I can go on with my merry way. But these new fridge doors are full screen LED panels that uh, are virtual shelves. So they virtually show Gatorades and Cokes and they're supposed to depict what's in the screen. I don't know how it works with uh, weights or sensors. The fridge is supposed to update when something is sold out. It will tell you on this LED screen, hey, there's the, the orange flavor of Gatorade is sold out, but the blue one right next to it is still um, is still in stock and it shows the, uh, the prices. And um, all of this is done literally for the sole purpose to run full screen ads. So I looked at this and I said to myself, I can't think of something that is more counter to the user experience than what this is, right? You're going up to the fridge and the user experience should be really simple. I go up to the fridge, I'm looking for my vanilla Coke. I can look to the fridge, the Coke is there. I'm gonna open it, pick it up and leave. But now I'm forced to watch full screen ads for Bud Light that I have to wait for the Bud Light ad to finish for me to see if my Coke is in the fridge or I just have to get tired of it and just open it up. On top of that, the when you look at the bottle, some of the bottles start shaking and some of the bottles say like, this is really refreshing. I'm sure today's a hot day or these little speech bubbles. And I'm just standing there, I'm like, this is like the most annoying, ridiculous BS I think I've ever seen in my life where all of this is done so coca-cola can pay a little bit more for their coke can to shake in order to take away my attention from the pepsi can that's on there and once again it's something that puts money before the consumer experience and that's what really advertising has become in our day and age 
And you can look at that as this example in VR, no matter how small that advertising is, you are going to find it distracting. And obviously now VR is going to become this new dumping ground, especially on Oculus, where you're going to start seeing these really cheap free games become um, are, are going to start getting made with the express purpose of just running as many ads as possible. Most mobile games are created very, very quickly. They're sort of get in and get out nowadays where you play one round of a game and you're immediately forced to see an ad and maybe you get an option to pay two bucks or something like that in order to stop seeing ads. But for the, for the most part, most manufacturers, most people that make these games want to keep running these ads because they'll make more money off of you in the long run than if you pay two or $3 to remove those ads. And this reminded me of, uh, an episode of Camp Koji that I did, I, I can't remember the name. I think it was the Metaverse episode where I talked about the future of advertising, especially advertising to gamers, lies in tricking consumers into interacting with brands and not actually realizing that they are part of advertising. So one great example is if you're in a city and you see a Red Bull truck start giving out free Red Bull for some new flavor that they're doing, whatever, grape Red Bull. And they're giving out completely free cans. Once again, if something is free, you yourself become the product. So you, you yourself then become the extension of the advertising. So what Red Bull is banking on is that when they give you that free grape drink that's a brand new flavor, that you will take a photo of it or take a video of it and share it on your Facebook, your Instagram, your Snapchat, your Twitter, and tell people like, hey, on 42nd Street, Red Bull is giving out these free grape flavored Red Bull. And what they're really hoping for is for you to make a short video of you trying that Red Bull and say, oh, this isn't bad. For those that don't know anything free, um, tastes a lot better than something that you paid for. So even if that grape flavor is bad, that the, the fact that you didn't come out of pocket for it automatically just bumps up your review score by 15 points. You're going to go, oh, you know what? This isn't that bad. And hopefully that video goes up, it gets shared and liked. And now you're bringing awareness to the fact that Red Bull has a brand new flavor. And hopefully other people that find it will either A, go to try to get a free can or see it in their local Walgreens and say, oh, cool, They this is the new flavor that I saw, blah, 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 post on their Twitter or their Instagram. So that's the future of advertising. The future of advertising is tricking consumers into interacting with brands without, without realizing that they're actually um, interacting with a commercial. So a Facebook VR, for example, a Wendy's ad that's plopped into a VR game, I don't think would work really well. Once again, gamers are not receptive to advertising. Gamers still make up the core of VR, of, of the VR install base right now. But let's say Wendy's created a VR game that was free where you play as a Wendy's chef and you're completing orders, flipping burgers and putting nuggets into a fryer and stuff like that in an actual Wendy's restaurant. And you add leaderboards and maybe you have unlockable discounts and things like that. That is a much more successful advertising than anything else that you can do because now you might have, you can pay streamers to, to play this free Wendy's game and stuff like that and and and, and tell viewers like, oh, if you complete 10 levels, you get a coupon that gives you free fries when you buy a burger or something like that. That's really the, the future, the future of advertising for VR and advertising in our industry. And let me tell you right now, this is gonna start <laughs> at some point. Uh, I've, I've talked about this before, the metaverse will be built on advertising. It's the cheapest way to create the metaverse because it's gonna be uh, a lot, a lot of money. Facebook would actually be way more successful if they used their massive war chest of money to create internal teams that then go to Home Depot, for example, and say, hey, let us help you create a VR experience 
of someone walking around your store, for example, or uh, showing people in VR how to successfully go go to Ikea and show people like, oh, show them a VR version of how to put together this drawer and be able to drop it into their room using AR, for example, or whatever. I don't know, I'm coming up with these options. And then once they build it, if they really like, oh, I like this, the way this chest looks inside of my room, boom, they can instantly order that Ikea chest from within the VR headset. That's going to be the future of VR advertising. It's not just gonna be some random billboards inside of a, a, uh, a VR headset. And if you don't think that that works, then I'll like to refer you to Fortnite. Fortnite is free to play. Yes, there are battle passes, but one of the reasons it's free to play is because it's filled to the brim with advertising. Every time you play as Batman or who else is in there, Aquaman, or any of these other characters that have been added, even Kratos, you are playing a commercial for God of War, whether you know it or not, whether it's fun, it's super cool to be able to play as Master Chief in there. It's still an advertising for Halo and Xbox. And uh, no one really thinks about it. And that really shows how successful Epic has been with um, blurring the lines between advertising and everything else. But overall, I feel like I went off on a complete tangent and talk about advertising and how much I think I hate them and how much gamers hate them. But I guess to wrap this up, I think it's pretty incredible that our industry for the most part has gotten really away with not going too crazy with advertising. Like we've sort of seen it a little bit. Like for those that remember, like one example just popped into my head. Remember when Mario Kart 8 had Mercedes Mercedes-Benz cars like wasn't that like the weirdest thing ever in, in the world that was an advertising partnership that made zero cents I do not see a lot of uh, those two demographics bumping into each other Mario Kart players and people who are buying Mercedes-Benzes uh, but like I said it, it's it's not something that we've seen happen so often in our industry and I think it's pretty cool but at the same time, I think once we get into this metaverse within the next, whatever, 20, 30 years, I'm sure it's something we're going to see a lot more of. And um, once again, Facebook just ruins everything. I don't understand why anyone on the face of this earth would ever buy an Oculus headset because I guarantee you it's just only going to get worse and worse and worse. And you know, I, I just don't trust that Facebook is not looking up data for where your eyes are going if you're playing a VR game. And even if they there's a first-person shooter that has an ad, a billboard for 7-Eleven, I'm sure they're running 20 different billboards um, for every second that passes by. There's 20 different billboards and 20 different games. And they're using data for how long someone is looking at that billboard to try to find the billboard that's more successful. And that's the one they, they start pushing out at scale. Like all of that stuff is happening in the background. I have no idea why anyone on the face of this earth would ever trust Facebook with anything. Now let's talk about Xbox. Xbox was in the news for a few reasons last week. Microsoft's cloud gaming servers have begun streaming off Xbox Series X hardware as the rollout continues which has led to faster load times. I actually gave this a try. I think it's sort of hit or miss. I don't think it's super guaranteed that the game you pick will be running off of Xbox Series X hardware, but I think their target is for the end of the year to have all of their server blades move over to Xbox Series X, which will obviously increase the load times. I think one of the big negatives right now with the xCloud servers obviously still in beta, but the load times are a little annoying and they can kind of vary. Some games can take up to a minute to load up, but obviously the, the service is still in beta and it will improve on its own, but obviously having everything move over to Xbox Series X will improve it drastically. Windows 11 was formally announced to release by the end of the year, which will bring many gaming improvements, including audio HDR, direct storage, and a native Xbox app to stream and play Game Pass games, as opposed to the current option, which is browser only. 
Phil Spencer also confirmed that Halo Infinite's holiday release date has been narrowed down to a few weeks, and the team is just trying to find the right date to drop it. As I said before, when, we, when I talked about Halo Infinite during our E3 episode, they are apparently also waiting to get a better outlook on other games releases to determine where exactly to drop this game. And I'm sure that Xbox is very curious in terms of where Call of Duty is dropping this year. It sort of looks like Call of Duty and Halo will be the two biggest games dropping this holiday. I'm honestly trying to think of another. Obviously, if Horizon does make this holiday, I'm very skeptical about that. But if Horizon makes this holiday, I guess that would, those three would be the biggest game. Or I guess Battlefield too. but um, it looks like it's all shooters coming, I guess, for the end of the year in terms of biggest releases. So I'm sure Halo Infinite would love to have not only a week to itself, but also make sure that they don't release close to um, Forza. And I think that's one of the challenges that Microsoft is going to have to look forward to when it comes to Game Pass is that they definitely have to be a lot more conscious of where they're dropping their games because when you're including these games as part of your Game Pass um, subscription, you want to spread them apart at least like a good three-week minimum uh, because you want to give people the chance to interact maybe with these big releases that they probably would never have had in the past. I've honestly never played a single Forza, but this new one looks kind of fun. It's part of Game Pass. I'll definitely be downloading it and, and giving it a try. But if Forza drops a week before or, or a week after Halo, then I'm probably not going to be playing Forza. I'm probably still going to be, be uh, playing Halo. But the biggest piece of news last week was a recent Xbox hire. The company has hired former Google Stadia design director Kim Swift to build a team focused on new experiences in the cloud. Now, she is best known for leading development for Portal. She was part of a team that created the concept for Portal. Valve saw it, they hired the team and um, put them together in order to create Portal, which has you know gone down in history as one of the most influential games in our industry's uh, history. Now, this was a feature that Stadia promised, allowing developers to take full advantage of their cloud pl platform to release games not possible in traditional hardware, but we all know what happened with that. Stadia just went forward with closing all these studios and pretty much shutting down that initiative. So anything that had to do with taking advantage of the cloud that has been completely eliminated. And it was a feature that Google touted when they first, first announced Stadia. They were talking about, I remember they showed off a game where they were talking about, hey, because of the cloud, we can handle a multiplayer game that has hundreds of players in a fully destructible environment because all of it is handled by the cloud, obviously. That is not something that is going to be happening now anymore since Stadia has pretty much shut that down. Now, for those that forgot Crackdown 3 at one point, dabbled with using Azure to create truly destructible environments, but that definitely did not turn out the way that we envisioned it. Crackdown was an absolute nightmare and disaster. It went into development hell. It definitely was one of the most disappointing games that came out last generation. So far, the only game that takes advantage of Azure and the cloud and does it in a really, really good way is Microsoft Flight Simulator, which streams 2.5 petabytes of data. That is how much data is being stored in order to recreate pretty much the entire Earth down to street level. And in order to achieve something like that, it's just something that's absolutely impossible to do without the cloud. And this has been something that I've been excited about for a while when it comes to Azure technology and what Xbox has been doing with the cloud. We know that we've heard in the past that Sony themselves have approached um, Microsoft in terms of working out a deal to use Azure. We don't know exactly what happened to that at the end of the day, but obviously whenever we hear about anything in terms of a new technology that we can say 
hey, video games can be executed using this technology that are completely impossible. So it's really cool to see something like Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is a game that I have absolute zero interest in. Like I've watched uh, trailers, I watch videos, I watch gameplay of people playing it. I understand why people love it so much. Definitely not something that I'm interested in, but when you look at it, it's just amazing. It's mind blowing what is able to be done with that game, just how good and realistic that game looks and knowing that none of it is possible without the cloud. And you can release a version like that on something like Xbox One, for example, but it would not be the same game. You wouldn't be able to have that one-to-one one -one street level, complete recreation of our planet Earth. You can't do that without the cloud. And I think that's something that's really exciting. Now this aligns with a recent rumor that Hideo Kojima is working on a deal with Xbox to create a game that takes advantage of the cloud. Now, if the deal goes through, this will give Xbox and uh, I guess Xbox PC also quite the exclusive, one that will be absolutely impossible to exist on other consoles. If Kojima creates a game that relies on using this cloud platform, then it would essentially become a game that would be impossible for it to uh, exist on any other platform. And Death Stranding dabbled with this concept of sharing resources or shoot, what was it? Strand gameplay uh, across games, but a game built on the cloud would be able to theoretically do something like that in real time. It was probably one of my favorite features of Death Stranding, the fact that you can sort of say hi and interact with, sort of interact with other versions of Sam that are being played um, in, uh, in other instances of people playing Death Stranding around the world. So one of my favorite features of that game was unlocking the zip lines in order to get around a lot more quickly or being able to build roads in order to drive faster. And it was really cool to find out that you can put resources into building a, 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 a road and be able to sort of begin that process and have other people from around the world um, be able to actually donate uh, pieces in order to, or donate resources in order to get that road built a lot faster or being able to connect zip lines from other stations that people have put together in their game that are now showing up in yours. It was one of the coolest things that I think Death Stranding did, but maybe this is an extension of that. Obviously we don't know. But whatever it is, this idea from Kojima started at Stadia. And it's really interesting because this means that Kojima has come up with an idea or a feature that completely relies on a cloud platform. It's something that he knows, man, I really want to put this out there. I want to get this game completed, but I need a cloud platform. Do you understand that this man, I want to use the word desperation because I don't think that, that was it. But this man wanted to get this game done so badly that he went to Stadia to get it done. I mean, I can't, I can't think of any uh, a, a much more determined person than that that went to Stadia. Like, look, it's obvious you guys are the only ones that are doing a cloud platform right now. I really would like to get this done, and for whatever reason, the deal never went through. So. Him going to Xbox is really an extension of, I don't think it's, it's it, it shows any disdain with, with Sony and PlayStation and the history that he's had with that company. I think it really is about PlayStation had a cloud platform built the way that Microsoft does. I'm sure that we would hear about Kojima just sticking with PlayStation, but it really just comes down to, hey, there's an idea that I have that I want to execute. And unfortunately, you guys just don't have the tools for me to execute it. So I'm going to have to go to Xbox to do it. And uh, this is interesting for so many reasons because it brings up this question of, man, what is the idea that this man has come up with where 
it's such a, I guess it's an idea that he just can't get out of his head that he really wants to execute, that he's willing to go to a company that he's never really worked with in the past in order to get it done. But this is, this is a really important step for Microsoft um, in order to build an internal team that can then go out to these different publishers and even maybe even smaller developers and um, maybe make them understand the advantage of being able to use the cloud for their games or being able to go to uh, Ubisoft, for example, when they're building their next Far Cry and telling them, hey, we, you, we can um, give you a version of Far Cry where the environment is absolutely destructible um, in real time because all of that work is being done by the cloud. It's not being done by individual systems and being able to show them how to execute it. So not only can something like this bring up ideas and different types of games that we've probably never even thought of. Once again, Microsoft Flight Simulator is a very good example of that, of being able to execute a game that just isn't possible. Um, to be able to, uh, I, I've, I've been thinking about this story and I've been thinking about, man, what types of games can be created? And honestly, I, I can't think of anything. And, and to be honest, that excites me because obviously I don't know what this cloud platform is really extremely capable of. All we know is that you'll be able to technically outsource all of the computing power to a complete bank of servers instead of um, having to rely on just one single CPU and GPU on one system. And that honestly excites me as a gamer to find out that we're going to be able to, one example that I can think of now that I'm sitting here and talking about it is there was a game that was released recently on Xbox called SnowRunner and a lot of and that game really relies on really realistic physics in cars and being able to do deliveries. What if a company has access to the same data or a similar data set that built something like Microsoft Flight Simulator and now you're able to do deliveries in an actual recreation of the United States that's one to one and real-time weather effects and all this different stuff, people that are in love with that type of genre would kill for something like that. So, you know, it's really exciting to see. And I think it's really important in order, uh, I think it's really important to have an internal team that can then go to publishers and tell them, hey, let me show you what um, we're capable of, what you can build on this platform. And not only will it, um, probably give Xbox a lot of really cool exclusives, but it will also maybe give them a lot of cool exclusive versions of multi-platform games. So obviously we'll kind of have to wait and see, but I'm very interested to hear exactly what type of game, if this deal goes through, uh, and once again, this is still rumored, that Kojima has come up with, what idea has this guy come up with? Um, we've seen what he's done in the past, especially looking at an idea like Death Stranding, that this idea cannot be executed without using the cloud. To me, that, uh, that's really exciting. Now, before I leave, I you know didn't want to spend too much time on this, but um, I had to talk about Abandon. Now, last week I released a video about this entire Abandon ordeal that can be found on our Camp Koji YouTube channel. Thank you for anyone that has watched or or, or shared. It is uh, far and away the most successful video that I've released on the Camp Koji uh, channel. Over 2,500 views, um, which is mind-blowing to me. Uh, it's, it's really cool. It shows how many people that have been interested in this very subject. But the reason why I wanted to bring it up on the show is because the trailer app was supposed to go live on Friday. And Hassan Kawarman, the leader of Blue Box Studios, appeared on a Twitter to say that it was being delayed by uh, by two months. Now, I'm not going to go over the entire history of Abandoned once again. I go over that in the uh, YouTube video that I released. So if you haven't seen that, please check it out. I think it's about 17 minutes long where I talk about why I think that Hideo Kojima is behind Abandoned and it's not simply just a indie developer that has messed up or whatever. And 
One other reason why I wanted to bring up this story on today's podcast is in that YouTube video, I talk about um, the, the uh, social commentary that, that is being made around this ARG and abandon, which is how many writers and journalists within our media are for some reason trying very hard to convince us that we're crazy to think that abandon is anything but an indie developer. So after this delay, just last week, these are a few tweets. We have Jason Schreier from Bloomberg, quote, seems pretty clear that this isn't some grand conspiracy. It's a guy who promised too much, got more attention than he ever thought he would, thanks to a string of wild coincidences, and is now in way over his head. Then we have Jordan Aleman from IGN, Please touch grass instead of giving blue box flack. They denied the rumors multiple times, including an interview with me. I've spoke to Hassan since, and I'm working on a story about his game dev background, the studio, and their hopes for abandon. I hope you'll read it. Rami Ismail, who I believe used to write for Vice, I think it was. Uh, just hearing how tired the team must be is breaking my heart, but I especially can imagine how hard it is to make the call to delay this app last minute. A good first impression is super important now, can't blame them. Mark Delaney, who has written for GameSpot, quote, with each update, fewer and fewer people believe the totally false theories. It's sort of an interesting race to the bottom. Last one to accept reality is the furthest away from residing there. Let's look forward to abandon as described by its director himself. Now, Meanwhile, while all this is happening, the ARG has continued over at the Blue Box Conspiracy uh, subreddit. They have definitely have dug into a couple more clues. And I'm telling you right now, 100% there is an ARG happening when it comes to this. One of my favorite unsolved clues is Noir Studios, who is a studio that is apparently helping Blue Box um, they put out a video just basically saying, hi, I'm, I'm the CEO of Noir. We're helping Blue Box. Just want, want to let you know that we're real. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite unsolved uh, clues is the fact that Noir unfollowed over 600 accounts and are now only following 10 with Kojima being one of them. So once again, the media is trying to tell us that all of these are just crazy coincidences and we're crazy to think that this is just anything other than a single indie developer that um that has just gotten way over their own head now you have all this overwhelming evidence that something weird is going on and all the while you have these journalists that almost feel like they're trying to convince us that we're wrong so you have two possible scenarios happening the least likely scenario i mean the percentage of this is zero or i'll give it 0.1 i guess is that these journalists are in on it. The journalists are in on uh, this whole thing that Sony and Kojima are trying to do. Um, but I don't think that's what's happening. Obviously, if you do that as a journalist, you've basically just sold out your integrity because at the end of the day, once this is proven to be an ARG, that would mean that these journalists are essentially helping a company sell a game because that's the end goal, right? The end goal is you're selling a game you basically lost all your integrity. So I don't think that that's what's happening. The more likely scenario is that they themselves have been uh, duped, which in my opinion, I brought this up on that YouTube video, is pretty scary that all you need to do is, is bring in uh, what I considered a developer proxy, someone who does have a development background, who knows about video games, to talk about this game. And apparently that's all a journalist needs to disprove all these other weird things that are happening. Now, what's interesting about all of this is that Sony has proven that they would support a brand new developer. They gave Kenna Bridge of Spirits a prime spot in their showcase, and that is Ember Lab's very first game. Before Kenna Bridge of Spirits, all this company had ever done was just uh, 3D videos and commercials. I think they work with Coca-Cola. They've done 3D films. Um, but the game is, the difference is that Kenna Bridge of Spirits was real, right? We saw what the game was. They have a full-fledged website. The company is obviously very, very real. There's nothing weird about it from the very, very beginning. Um, because the way that I look at this entire scenario is maybe you're not convinced this is Kojima. That's fine. 
Maybe you're not convinced that Konami or Silent Hill is involved in this. That's fine. I personally don't think this was happening. Um, to me, that that that's totally cool if you don't want to believe that that's what's happening. But to not think that there's something weird about an unknown, completely unproven developer that has absolutely nothing to show after reportedly working on this game for four years and somehow Sony would give them all this attention and even go as far as to allow them to change the logo to match theirs with the same exact font, causing possible confusion that they're connected to Sony. There are just so many things that in order to believe this, you would have to believe that Sony and, and PlayStation have become just the most incompetent company ever in the world. And they just trust people on their word. One of the biggest clues that I put in that video that should make you go, wait a minute, this is really, really fishy, is the fact that Hassan in the interview and IGN claimed that Abandoned has, they've been working on Abandoned for, since 2017. Once again, that's four years. And even with that, they went to Sony, uh, were somehow able to sell their game that they've been working four years on. Apparently, they got money through a private investor. Noir Studios is an outsourcing studio, but they've worked on a lot of different games, not only just Death Stranding, but a lot of big third-party games, uh, obviously showcasing that they're not cheap, right? Um, so you have all of that happening, and then PlayStation, you're telling me that PlayStation is okay with running a blog post talking about this game, all the images are from a $35 Unreal Forest. The trailer is from a $35 Unreal Asset Forest. <laughs> and then Hassan himself confirms that, yeah, everything they showed is actually not the game. That's not really the game. They just very quickly had to put something together. For me to sit here and think that PlayStation would allow <laughs> a developer to um, not even show what their game really is, and after four years, apparently not have and not, not not even be able to to pull images from it. You have a developer that for some reason doesn't want to come right out, and basically say, let, let me show you what our studio looks like. Um, you have not even Sony is stepping forward and saying, look, we want to be very clear. Abandon is a game being made by Blue Box. We're supporting them just by this blog post and the trailer. They have no connection to Konami. They have been, none of that has been happening. PlayStation is completely quiet. Kojima is quiet. Konami is, is quiet. My theory is that Konami is just taking advantage of all this to sell t-shirts and skateboards. That's my uh, take on it. But to me, once again, I don't care if you think this is Kojima. I don't care if you think this is Konami. That's fine. Um, but to not think that something very weird is going on, especially with so many journalists trying to convince us that absolutely none of this is weird none of it's not weird that sony gave primetime spot a blog post and a uh, trailer on their youtube to a completely unproven developer that apparently can't even put out an actual real trailer for their game is it's just baffling to me because I I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. When I put out that video, I felt very confident saying, yeah, I'm 100% convinced that Kojima has something to do with this and he's going to try to um, play with this charade as long as he, as he can. Um, I have no problem with admitting that I was wrong. I have no problem with doing an episode of camp coaching and saying, Hey, you know what? I, I definitely felt like I was right. looks like I was, I was wrong. I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that I'm not wrong and sitting here and saying that something really, really weird is going on. And it's ironic to me that one of the biggest things that I brought up during that video that I made was just talking about, um, authorities that we trust and, basically being told to omit what we're seeing with our, our own eyes. Even someone like from Jason Schreier, who saw what I saw with how 
giddy and happy Keeley was and was like, yeah, something is really weird. I'm convinced Kojima's behind this. And all of a sudden just telling us, yeah, it seems clear this isn't some grand conspiracy. Um, it, it's just, it's weird. I don't really know how to react with everything that's happening right now where, um, you know, I, I'm telling people like, it's so important to stick to what you believe in no matter what people are telling you to not omit how you feel, your gut feeling, what you're seeing with your own eyes. But honestly, like this is scary. Like I do think that th this ARG and everything that's happening, some, I feel like something went wrong somewhere. Um, I don't think everything is going according to plan right now. And I honestly just don't understand what the end goal is. All I know is that Kojima has always played around, even um, when he was talking about Silent Hills, always played around with blurring um, reality and and fiction, and struggling to um, struggling to accept which type of reality that you're in. And I feel like that's what's happening with with everything that's going on. Is that we all have access to the same information. We're all looking at the same thing but we're all living in completely different realities. You have people who live are living in the reality that this is Silent Hill and every information that they get is being skewed towards trying to trying to draw the line back to Silent Hill. Then you have people that are convinced this is Kojima and every single small hint has to lead back to Kojima. Although Kojima put up this photo and there's a the background is blue, there's a blue box or this thing in the third and they're driving themselves nuts. I, I'm definitely not doing any of that. I have no interest in doing stuff like that. And then you have these journalists who same thing. Well, they have access to a little extra information than us, but it's scary to me if all of this does turn out to be the social commentary on the way we all, you know, digest information, the way that we build our own realities around them. And the fact that all it takes is one person who is really well versed at being a developer to convince uh, journalists that have been that are writing for our industry that oh yeah this is real this is a real game um, the the team is tired like the, the fact that no that they don't find it weird <laughs> that Sony is allowing this team to put out their own app not only that. But they delay the app by three days and saying like, oh, just some localization issues. And then all of a sudden the, it gets delayed by two months. And none of this is weird that they go from a leap of three days to two months. None of this is weird. Like absolutely none of it is weird. Like, come on, man. Like I'm, I'm just baffled. All I know is that if this really does turn out the way that I think it's going to turn out, like this is like scary. This is scary to me that um, journalists, the people that so many gamers go to, to give them the news and be the middleman between the industry and the consumer have been so easily duped into thinking that this is just a um, just a developer. Because me being duped and, and me going, man, this really was just an independent. That's one thing, but for someone to have extra access to our industry and apparently have a conversation with Hassan and be tricked into thinking that this is real, that's that's way scarier. That's that's a really really scary thought for something like that to um, to happen. Um, but obviously, we'll just have to wait and see exactly how all of this actually turns out, but. <laughs> Like I said, I I just I, I just can't imagine this actually, you know, being a, a a real thing that PlayStation, one of the most trusted publishers that we have in our industry, would be perfectly okay with putting their name behind. I just um I just can't see that scenario actually happening. This week's hot release is June 29th. Zombies Ate My Neighbors and Ghoul Patrol, PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Doom Eternal, PS5, Xbox Series X Upgrade, also on June 29th. That upgrade is obviously free. Also on June 29th, this guy has six Defiance of Destiny and Destroy All Humans, both of those coming to Switch. And then June 30th, we have Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, 
PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. And then we have Greedfall, a free PS5 and Xbox Series X upgrade. And I think for the first time in Camp Koji history, we actually don't have a wrap it up. I felt like last week wasn't really much news and there really isn't much to follow up on so that's the end of the episode before we go shout out to the nintendo 64 which turned 25 last year and also shout out to double fine uh we're getting reports last week that psychonauts 2 was created without crunch i talk about crunch so much is synonymous with the history of camp koji i think it's important to bring up just like insomniac and wretch and clank to bring up developers internally talking about how how uh, great their work-life balance was working on a game so it's important for us to praise when these things happen so shout out once again to double fine thank you so much for joining me please follow us on twitter on instagram and on youtube please go watch that video if you haven't thank you for everyone once again who has watched and shared at kent koji for future updates once again i am joel and i will see you all next week